talks about how God uses us in the world, okay? And the world is, is so much looking for, you know, certain titles and things, but there's something, if you're going to lead in and, and make influence in this world, you need what we talk about here in Acts chapter 27, okay? And, and we're going to take some time to kind of break through it uh, a little bit and um, see some things that are very powerful, especially where God's, what God's doing with Valdosta. I do want to say this, you know, Pastor Mark was up here this past weekend, um, obviously, and we had people help with the walls. Thank you so much for pulling those from over there to over here. And now they're in this hallway. And um, we've been talking about when we can come up here and, and knock out a few walls. And we've got a couple that are volunteering, uh, possibly at the end of this week, to come up Friday. Uh, it won't take any time to drop walls, I mean, or to put them back up. And um, so we'll start that process. We're looking at possibly Friday into Saturday doing that. So if you can come and lend a hand, you know, get with Pastor Mark on that. Uh, we're going to bring a guy that builds, you know, houses down in St. Augustine, and it don't take no time. We'll pop a line, man. They'll put a wall up. They'll, you know, tap con it to the floor, go to the next section, put it together, and we just keep on going all the way through. So we want to see the progression here because, you know, we want to be able to open up opportunities to be able to minister to the kids, amen, have a nursery, see some expansion. Hallelujah. Amen. All right, so in Acts chapter 27, starting in verse 1, it says, When it was decided that we would set sail for Italy, they proceeded to deliver Paul and some, some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking uh, in a ship which was about to sail to the region along the coast of Asia, we put out to sea, accompanied by um, this individual... Uh, a Macedonian of Thessalonica. The next day we put in, and it says um, Julius, who was the um, centurion, treated Paul with consideration and allowed him to go to friends and receive care. From there they put out to sea um, and sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. When they had sailed through the sea along the coast, it says they landed in this place. Then the centurion found another ship, Sailing for Italy, he put us aboard it. When we had sailed slowly for a good many days, with difficulty they arrived here. Since the wind did not permit us to go further, we set sail under another um, shelter. And difficulty passing, it came um, that they came to a place called Fairhaven near the city, uh, this particular city. Then in verse 9 it says, Considerable time had passed since the voyage was now dangerous, and the fast was over, began to admonish men. Okay? And he says this, Men, I perceive the voyage will be certainly by the dam uh, will be with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo of the ship, but also of our lives. Okay? So here we see that Paul, in context, is a prisoner. Okay? That's the title Paul has right now in the world. Convict. Inmate. Okay? And so he has uh, been given to a soldier, and the reason why he's given that soldier because Paul has had a situation take place with his own countrymen that they wanted to uh, have him killed. They wanted to kill him based upon him um, walking in the word of God and establishing churches, and he appeals to Caesar because Paul, even though he is uh, of the nation of Israel, he is a Jew, but he's also born a Roman citizen. And he has a right as a Roman, and since they were trying to get him delivered so that the Jews could kill him, he appealed to Caesar. And so now they are taking him to Rome. That's the goal. And he was assigned to this soldier who's over Paul, a prisoner, and other prisoners. 
And they've done some sailing and they found themselves here. And Paul, along this journey, all of a sudden says in verse 10, Men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo of the ship, but also of our lives. Now, verse 11 says, But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what was being said by Paul. So what I want us to recognize here is that there are four people listed here in verse 11. Four people. The first person is Paul. He's an inmate. Okay? The second person is Julius, the centurion. He's a Roman soldier, and he was over um, soldiers. So he is a leader in the military, a captain of guards. Okay? Then we have the pilot of the ship. And the pilot of the ship is the one, obviously, who drives the ship. So he's over all the sailors on the ship. And the captain is not captain as we typically think of with ships. This word really means the owner. So this is the man that actually owns the ship. Okay? So there's four people here. And in today's society, we would see an owner of a business, a military leader, and then another person that's over um, a manager of a man's business. He's in management. Those are leadership titles. Then we have an inmate. Okay? A convict. A prisoner. Okay? Now, Paul is not being tried because he's killed somebody. Uh, he's being tried because of his faith in God. Amen? In the nation that he serves, the kingdom. Okay? And the Jewish people want to destroy him. And that's why he's a prisoner. So here's these four types of people. And in our society, when we look at leadership, a lot of times we look at it by title. In fact, John Maxwell, in, in writing some of his books concerning leadership, he says this. He says the lowest form of leadership is by title. Because anybody can get a title. But it doesn't mean they can actually lead in that title. I can tell you, I was in the military myself for about nine years in the Florida National Guard. And there were many people that were of higher rank that really you just respected the rank because the person in it, man, they weren't much, they weren't worth the, the uniforms they were in. Okay? Uh, not much at all. And so what we see here is that there's some people to look at. And Paul, this inmate, this, this um, convict, says, Men, I perceive. Okay? I perceive that there's a problem. There's going to be some damage. There's a danger that's coming. You see this? There's some danger that's coming. He says, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo and of the ship, but also of our lives. Now, the, the centurion, the Roman soldier, went and had a conversation with the other people because he's a soldier. Now, he likes Paul. Paul has found favor with him. Okay, he likes Paul. But, but... He's a soldier who is commissioned by the Roman army to take the prisoners to Rome, and so he's making a decision not because of what a convict says. Though he may like Paul, well, I've got an assignment, and we need to go somewhere, and that's why we're getting on this ship, because this ship's going to where we're going. And so he goes and says, well, gentlemen, what do you think? And who's he talking to? An owner of a ship and a pilot of a ship. And so he starts to draw from their experience. And so, well, you think about it. What do you think we ought to do? You know, I got, I got an inmate over here saying we probably shouldn't go nowhere. Now, can you understand what the pilot's thinking right now? 
the pilot's probably thinking, look, man, I, I, I mean, I, I've captained ships. I mean, I've pilot ships. I mean, I have, I have sailors underneath me. I mean, I've been in all kind of waters. I've done this run all kind of times, you know. And, you know, based upon what I'm seeing and, and the forecast and things that I'm looking at, you know, there's really no problem for us. And the owner of the ship, you know, he doesn't want his ship lost. That's his business. I mean, who wants their business gone? And through that, you know, conversation, he's saying, well, you know what? You know, no, we, we'll be able to make this. Listen, he may say, I don't get paid unless what I have on my ship gets there, and we're going to get my ship there, and my man said we're going to get there. So you need to load your convicts up on this boat if you're going with us, because we're going to Rome. We're going to Italy. We're setting sail. So this is what we have. We have what we call leadership. And leadership's making decisions based upon experience. Now, there's nothing wrong with experience, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with having an experience in leadership. But when we're doing uh, certain things for God, there's something bigger than experience. And we need to recognize, and it's, recognize, and it's recognizable here in this. So, he says that in verse 11, the centurion, and we're in Acts chapter 27, verse 11, but the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than what was being said by Paul, verse 12. Because the harbor, why? There's a reason. The harbor's not suitable for wintering. The majority reached a decision. The majority what? Reached a decision to put out the sea from there. The majority reached. They, they were democratic in this thing. Hallelujah. Well, what do you think? Well, what do you think? Well, tell me what you think. And so from their experience, no, we will do this thing. So they put out to see if somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing southwest and northwest, spend the winter there, which means we're going to get a little closer. There's a, there's a port better. They looked at their port there and said, this ain't good to be here. You know, it really, everything tells us we ought to leave. We need to go somewhere else. Everything we see, everything we know about what we do says we need to go. Verse 13, when a moderate south wind came up, supposing... Look at this. When a moderate south wind came up, supposing that they had attained their purpose, meaning here all of a sudden they say, now, oh, see, there's the wind. That's what I was talking about. This is why we need to go now. This is our confirmation that we should leave. See, people are always looking for confirmation when what you need is a word. You need a word from God. So once again, in context here in Acts chapter 27... We have Paul, a prisoner. He's been assigned to a Roman centurion, a leader uh, of, of soldiers, and he's on a ship that a, cat, that a pilot ha is over sailors, and we have the captain of the ship that owns the actual ship. He, as an inmate, as a prisoner, has says, Gentlemen, I perceive that if we leave, there's going to be damage, great loss of not only the ship and the cargo, but maybe even our lives. And right now, there's nothing that you're saying in the seen realm looks like what you're saying we should actually heed. In fact, when we talk amongst ourselves and we put all of our experience together and when we look at the atmosphere and the wind and, 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 and look at the port we're in and all that, everything that we know in the natural tells us we need to leave. Everything says, let's go, let's do this. And so those three leaders made a decision based upon a realm they could see. Paul has perceived something from somewhere else. And said it. I see something else happening. And they said, we don't see what you're seeing. Well, you understand, when you're in faith, there's a lot of things people won't see that you're seeing. 
Because now faith is the, the substance of things what hope for, the evidence of things not seen. Hallelujah. you got to be hearing something from a place that people don't see because that's more real than what we see. And that voice is more important than this realm because that voice will change this realm. Amen. See, we have the Spirit of God in us. When we're born of God, the Bible tells us that the Spirit of God comes and lives in us, and it bears witness with our spirit we're children of God. And that Spirit in the inside, we know He's the Holy Spirit, but Jesus called Him the Spirit of truth. In John chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17. And the Spirit of truth has an assignment in us and on the planet. And the Spirit of truth, that is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, His assignment is, number one, to teach us all things. Number two, his assignment is to guide us into all truth, which means truth can be found on this planet. We can know God's truth. Also, his assignment is to cause things to come to our remembrance that was spoken by Jesus. And the last thing he does is he will show us things to come. means something that's not now, he will disclose it to us. Something that we can't see, He will let it be known to us of a future event or something that's going to take place so that we can be in preparation for it. Ooh, come on now. Amen. Amen. So these guys say, man, we're going to set sail. It seems like we should. Everything is telling us we should. We have obtained a purpose. So they weighed anchor and began sailing along creek, closing inshore. Now here it is, verse 14. I love this. Verse 14, look at this. Says, but, but before very long, which means it didn't take them long, they got out. I mean, they've gotten away from the port. They've gotten far enough out. They're rushed down from the land a violent wind. This is what they call a nor'easter. Okay? It's like a white squall. Okay? Shows up on the ocean. Verse 15. And when the ship was caught in it and could not face the wind, they gave way to it and let ourselves be driven along. Running under the shelter of small islands called Claudia, um, we were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. Can you imagine what's going on on that boat right now? Can you imagine that that pilot is yelling at all these uh, uh, his sailors and he's telling them to batten down the hatches, pull this, pull that rope, you know, do this, do that. You know, I, I'm not, I wasn't from the Navy, so I can't give you all those terms, you understand? Um, but, you know, he's yelling at them to do all these particular things. Can you imagine that the centurion now is having to deal with his prisoners because they're in a big deal? And can you just imagine what the uh, owner of the ship's thinking right now? Oh, my ship. This is my business. Okay? And so all of a sudden they're trying to you know keep things under control. Verse 17 says, After they had hoisted it up, they used support cables to and undergirding the ship and fearing that they might run aground on the shallows, they let down... Um, the sea anchor, and in this way they uh, let themselves be driven alone. The next day, um, as we were being violently storm-tossed, they began to jettison the cargo. That means they started throwing the cargo overboard. What did Paul say? He said there'd be damage and loss of cargo. Now that which the man's paid to deliver, he's letting go of. Not only his cargo, but his own personal supply to keep his you know, uh, sailors and those that are on the ship fed, they're starting to drop cargo over the side. It says, and then on the third day, the ship, uh, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. I mean, they're getting rid of all kind of stuff. 
since neither sun nor stars appeared. And you understand, when you're setting sail, you need stars to help navigate. When in the daytime you can see certain things, but in night they use the stars to navigate. And they can't see a thing. There's no sun to let them know where nothing's at, because, you know, the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. I mean, there's no point of direction. They are blinded. And they're out in the middle of the water, and they can't get the bearing. They can get nothing. You see what's going on here, okay? Then it goes on and says this. Um, <clears throat> says since the sun or the stars appeared for many days, many days now, no small storm was assailing us. From then on, all what? All hope, all hope of being what saved was gradually abandoned. Now, can you imagine? This is what's happening on the ship. The sailors are saying, I'm going to die. If there's any loved ones on a, at home, they're they thinking we're not going to see our family anymore. The sailors think they're going to die. The, uh, the, the soldiers think they're going to die. Everybody is starting to think we're not going to be saved. We are in trouble. And they're losing, excuse me, losing hope. Losing all kind of hope. Do you see this? Hallelujah. So he goes on and says this. Verse 21, when they had gone a long time without food. I mean, they're so consumed with trying to get the ship under control that they don't even have time to eat. So now, you understand what kind of environment this is because have you gone without eating for a few hours? <laughs> right? I mean, you know, you hadn't had that meal and that changes your uh, attitude and personality even. I mean, you start getting a little grumpy. I mean, your stomach start eating at you, telling you that you need some food, and all of a sudden, you know, you're a little snappier, a little, you know, saying, you need something to eat. I like that one little, um, I think it's a Snickers commercial where they show one of the little super, you know, little movie stars, and they're, you know, having it says, man, you think you're, you know, a superstar, eat your little Snickers so you can come back, you know, to existence here. And um, so, I mean, they've lost hope. They've been without food. I mean, you understand, attitudes are flying and running around. And then it says this, then Paul stood up in the midst of, uh, and said, I love this statement. You ready? Men, you ought to have followed my advice. <laughs> I love that. I mean, that's like a classic line, isn't it? Paul says, men, you ought to have followed my advice and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this damage and loss. Now, was Paul saying that to say, gentlemen, look who's right and you're wrong? Not at all. Well, we're going to see what was taking place with Paul while all this other stuff was going on. Okay? The reason why Paul says this, man, you ought to have taken my advice is because faith has to be re-identified in the midst of conflict. Okay? See, he would not have had a voice if he wouldn't have called those things that be not as though they were at a different time. If Paul had not said... When the environment says this wasn't what it was going to be, when the environment turned that way, Paul would have said, I thought it was going to be like this. And you're thinking, what, whatever. You can't believe his words because now all of a sudden, you know, I knew all the while this was going to happen. Well, how do we know? Because you ain't said anything. Come on, get this now. Faith speaks before it shows up. Faith speaks what God is saying and believes what God is saying before it manifests. And since he did this, He's now able to say, didn't I say something back when the conditions were different than what they are? And allow people to say, you're right. And because of that, he reminded them of the words he spoke on a seashore that said it was okay to sail, but he was saying it's not. It allows him to make this next statement in verse, what is it, 20, 
22, Yet now I urge you to what? Keep your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Now he's telling them when their hope's gone and they think they're not going to be saved, that even though it's bad, it's not as bad as it looks. So again, he's calling those things that be not as though they were in the storm now. Now we're in the storm. If you listen to me, we wouldn't have had this problem. We'd have been set, we'd have stayed there in the harbor there for wintering. We would have been, you know, in a house. You'd have been, you know, among family. This would have been okay. But because you did not do this, we're in this garbage that we're in. And since we're in this garbage, be of good cheer. Take courage now because, you know, we're going to lose the ship. Because disobedience, we're going to lose the ship. But you know what? Your lives are going to be saved. Okay? So he tells them to take courage, to keep courage. He goes on in verse 13. He says, for this very night, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you. Has granted who? Paul. Which means Paul's been doing something during the storm. See, when a lot of people get in the storms of life, they focus on the storm of life instead of doing what Paul did. Paul didn't want to be in this storm. Paul didn't ask for it. In fact, Paul was warned about it. And Paul tried to tell them, let's don't get in it. But since you don't want to listen to me and you want to get a little majority and you want to have your own little decision, see, this is why churches have all kind of problems. Because they get all kind of little committees and people want to have their own little personal opinion about it. But then the man of God who's hearing from God, that is the pastor who's delivering out the vision, can't even take the church in the direction that the head of the church wants it to go because everybody wants to have a say. Come on now, don't shut me down because I'm preaching good. Amen. No, there may be people all in the church that have different titles and different leadership ability, but when it's all said and done, the anointing is on the man of God, the pastor. Because what we're going to learn from this passage of Scripture is there is leadership and title, but the most important leadership that you're going to have is the ones who are anointed. That God is on them for that position. Because here's a convict. He's more than a convict. What he is, he's an apostle. He's a man of God. Because he's already appealed to Caesar, and the Lord's told him on the road to Damascus that I would put you before great men. He told him that. He already told Paul that he would put him before kings, great men. Paul already knew God said I was going. In fact, it was the prophet Agabus, I believe it was, who took his own uh, Paul's uh, little sash and, and tied, bound up his hands, and he says, the man bound will go before Caesar. Well, the, Paul already knew by the Spirit of God, I'm going to Rome. So as bad as this looks, I, if it, nobody doesn't make it, I'll make it because I already have God's Word on it. But see, Paul wasn't just saying, well, I'm going to make it. These bunch of idiots here, they're going to just die. Let them die then because they didn't listen to me. He didn't have an arrogant attitude. What was he doing? He began to pray for them. Because the real leader will pray for those even that are disobedient to what they're saying. To make power available to save their life. And so while everybody's running around, Paul is praying. And what's he praying for? Well, first thing in his prayers, he's saying this, Lord, you said I'm going to go to Rome. So, Lord, I can't die here. I believe you according to your word. You said that I'd make it before Caesar. So there's no way I'm going to die here. And I want to remind you of your word. He's reminding the Lord of his word. Number one. Then number two, he said, Lord, they didn't take your your warning. They didn't heed the warning that I spoke to them when we were there. But, Lord, we, I don't want them to die. 
And Lord, I'm asking you to save them. He began to ask for all of those people's lives. He began to petition the Lord. Lord, save them. Give us an opportunity to get up out of this mess. What, what must we do? Lord, I'm watching them. They're going crazy. They're doing everything and nothing's happening. Lord, what is your answer, Lord? What's the way of escape in this trial? Do you understand the pilot of the ship? You think this is his first storm? Do you think any person that's ever been on a ship before hadn't gotten into some kind of storm? I mean, I guarantee you the centurion and the soldiers, that's probably not their first song and dance in a storm. You know that the owner of the ship, he knows his ship has probably been battered at more than one time and probably had to do repairs as a result of it. Okay? And you know this pilot, because if you're going to hire any pilot, you want one that's going to be able to handle a ship in the storm because it's your business that they're taking care of. This is not their first song and dance, which means everything they know to do isn't working. And so Paul's saying, Lord... I'm just a, I'm just an apostle. I, listen, I'm not a sailor. I'm not that per. I'm not trained. But what must we do? What's the way to respond? What's the way to act? What's the way to? What's he? He's going to the unseen realm. He's going to ask God. He's seeking the Lord in the midst of the storm. He's not focusing on the storm. He's focusing on what gets us out. So while everybody else is doing what they can in the natural. He's trying to find the will of God concerning this situation and praying for the lives of those that are around him. Do you see this? And in this, he gets an answer. Because you understand, this wasn't a one-day event. It's been many days. Many days now. So he's been in prayer for many days. Come on now. For many days trying to get an answer. And the Lord sends an angel to him and said, Don't be afraid, Paul. You will go before Caesar. You'll stand before him. And God has granted all you all those who are sailing with you. So he told him, what did he say? He said, man, you should, have, you should have listened to me. Okay, getting their attention again. This moved him from, you're taking orders from all these other leaders, and unfortunately it's not working. The anointing is on me because I said at a time that was contrary to what's happening right now, and no one believed it, but you believe in it now. And all of a sudden, all the attention went to, what do we do, Paul? What do we do, Paul? He became the leader of the ship. The anointing said, this is the man chosen to make the decision. You see this? Okay. So we go on to verse 25. It says, therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe that it will turn out exactly as I have been what? I have been told. He, so he tells him, take courage. He said, listen, I've gotten a word from God, and it will be what God said. Then he, then he goes on and says this, next verse 26, he says, But we must run aground on a certain island. Not just any island, but a certain island. There's one certain that we're going to run aground. So just because he said that it's going to be okay and that nobody's going to die, that doesn't mean the storm stopped. It still didn't stop. See, a lot of times we want to get a word from God and want it to end right then when that's the word that we stand on and the storm will end. It will end. It will come to pass as it's been spoken or told. Amen? Continue to persevere. Verse 27, But when the fourteenth night, wow, we're fourteen nights in, came as we were being driven about, about midnight, the sailors began to surmise that they were approaching some land. <coughs> so they took some soundings and found it to be twenty fathoms. And a little further they took another sounding and found it to be fifteen. So they know they're getting more shallow. Verse 29, fearing that they might run aground somewhere on the rocks, they cast four anchors 
from the stern and wished for daybreak. I mean, they're still hoping. But as the sailors were trying, but as the sailors were trying to escape from the ship and let down the ship's boat in the sea on the premise of pretending to lay out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, "Unless these men remain in the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved." Now that's a powerful statement. Because I can tell you right now, there's a lot of people that don't remain with the ship. Because when the storm comes and the pastor's saying, hold on, this is the Word of God, they abandon the ship, they leave the church, and they die. But if they would just stay connected to the man of God, to the vision, to what God's doing, then you know what, they'll be saved. And Paul recognized this. And notice he didn't say, well, they don't want to follow me. Well, you know, fine, let them go then, let them just go. No, he made a statement. He said, listen... Told the centurion, told us, if you don't tell these sailors right now to stay on the ship, they, they, they own their own, and they won't be saved. Because the word is to stay with the ship today. It's not time to abandon the boat. Come on now, it's not time to abandon the boat. And we don't want to abandon the boat. See, when transition happened with this ministry, when the Lord began to transition, people abandoned the boat. They jumped out the ship. And they're not, and it ain't good for them. And their lives are going to go down. But you who remain and people are being added to the ship, I'm telling you, in the great place here in Valdosta, you are going to see something supernatural take place. You're going to be on, on the verge of great things that God's doing in this city because you got connected with this vision and you have a part to play in it. I'm telling you right now. You want to be connected to this thing. So he goes on and says this in verse, um, verse, uh, 31. He says, Paul said to the centurion, unless these men remain in the ship, uh, you yourself cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it fall away until the day was about to dawn. Paul was encouraging them to take some food, saying, today is the 14th day, and you have been constantly washing and going without any, uh, having taken nothing. What's he doing? He realized, therefore, verse 24, I encourage you to take some food, for this is for your preservation. For not a hair from your head of any of you will perish. Because he knows we're fixing to get into a place that you're going to need your strength. <laughs> Amen. You're going to need your strength. And so Paul's... And everybody's, taking, everybody's following a convict. Notice this. Everybody's following a convict, a prisoner, because the anointing's on him. Because that's what defines biblical leadership, is the anointing, not title. Okay. So he goes on... And it says, um, verse 35, Having said this, he took bread, gave thanks to God in the presence of all, and he broke it and began to eat. After uh, all of them were encouraged, and they themselves also took food, all of us in the ship were 200 and what? 76 persons. And when they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing out the wheat into the sea. I mean, they just, they're losing it all. Verse 39, when the day came, they, they could not recognize the land, but they did observe a bay with a beach, and they resolved to drive the ship onto it if they could. And casting off the anchors, they left them in the sea, while at the same time they were loosening the ropes of the uh, rudders and hoisting the foresail to the wind. They were heading for the beach. But striking a reef where two seas met, they ran the vessel aground, and the prow struck fast and remained immovable, but the stern began to be broken up by the force of the waves. So they run aground, and now the waves are beating the ship to death. It's just destroying it. So the soldiers plan. Look what they did now. We've gotten all this way in. Paul's doing, has, has 
saved everybody. I mean, there, there's land right there in front of them. They wanted to get to it with a ship, but they hit this reef and they can't go no further. They've done thrown everything off. They've done all that they can do. They've strengthened themselves. And now all of a sudden it looks like the ship's falling apart and people are going to have to get out of the boat. That's inevitable because the ship can't stay together. The soldiers' plan, they had a plan, was to kill the prisoners so that none of them would swim away and escape. Because you understand, that was in their watch. Well, guess who's a prisoner? Paul. So now he's done all this good and people won't kill him. (laughs) It's his prayers that got them to where they're at today. It's his word from God that kept them from jumping in uh, boats and, and going off. It's the anointing that he's hearing from an unseen realm, God, talking to him, that's keeping all this stuff alive, and all of a sudden now they're wanting to kill him. Welcome to the ministry. <laughs> it happens, you understand this. Amen. But you've got to know your purpose and you understand your God's bigger than man. Your God's bigger than man. Verse 43, look at this. But the centurion, hallelujah, wanting to bring Paul safely through, kept them from their intentions. In essence, it's the favor of God. What the devil means for bad, God can do something. He can turn for good. When the devil tries to come to kill, steal, and destroy, if you stay up underneath the power of God and underneath His Word, then he can't come. He's looking around, roaming the earth, looking whom he may devour. But if we will stay with the Word, the Word will come to pass. It will not return unto us void. It will accomplish that it which it was sent to do. Amen? This is why God's Word is so important. And this is just an illustration of leadership developing out of an anointing that God has on people's lives. Do you understand? You could go to work tomorrow and God come on you and give you an idea that people have gone to college for for years and can't figure out how to change something, but God give it to you and you give them one idea and change the whole thing. Amen. God give you ideas. Why? Because He knows everything. You want His wisdom. You want His uh, knowledge. So He goes on and He commanded those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to the land. So He's saying, if you can swim, go. Get out and go. Right? Get out and go. Start swimming. Verse 40, and casting off the anchors, okay. Um, Striking the reef, let's get down. Verse 43, but the Syrian wanting to keep him safe says go over. Verse 44, the rest should follow, some on planks, others on various things from the ship. And so it happened. Say, so it happened. Sound like what he said before they ever set sail. It happened. Let's go back to that. Let's go back to that verse because it's all in one chapter. Paul said, verse, uh, verse 10, men I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage. Was it with damage? And great loss. Was it with great loss? Not only of the cargo, did they lose the cargo, and the ship. But what didn't happen? The loss of lives. Why? Because somebody prayed. Because, see, the lives were going to be, but the angel came and said this, Paul, the Lord is granting you their lives. Which means he knew if I don't do something and stand in the gap, they're going to die. But Paul stood in the gap. Paul wasn't concerned about the ship. One well, concerned about the he's concerned about people. Do you see that? And he stood for those people, he interceded for those people, and the Lord said, I'll grant them to you. Hallelujah. While all the others were worried about their own life. Come on, get this now. Everybody else worried about their own life. 
how, how it, it, it's good for them, Paul is not concerned about his life because he's in a kingdom where the king's word for him is going to come to pass. He wants it to come to pass for other people. Whew. That's good. That's good. See, the Spirit of the Lord told me uh, when we made this transition to come up to Valdosta for this season... And, and I looked at Pastor Brian, and, and the Lord was speaking to him about coming, and we knew that there was a transition taking place. And I'll be honest with you. You know, I'm down at St. Augustine. We've been there for seven years, and the church, you know, had just a few people that were staying connected with it. And it had been easy for us to say, dude, just shut the doors. Let's go. Come on down here. I mean, we got something going on. But the Lord knew there's a work here. There's a vision here, and there's people we hadn't touched yet that are part of this vision. And the Lord spoke to me and says, take it, keep the light on. I knew I wasn't going to stay forever, you understand. I knew that there was a man assigned to it. There was an anointing on a man and a wife. And I just need to keep the light on so that we could get that adjustment, that transition. And you begin to pray for the people. And pray, you know, we're seeing some that were here start showing back up. Amen. And then we're seeing more. Ma, ma, ma. I mean, we're thinking, let's go ahead. We, we, we're already talking about six months. We, we're going to have to get over here. I mean, that's exciting. Why? Because God wants to do something with this church in this city for such a time as this, with you to ignite the city, impact the nation, and influence the world. And God has sent a man. Amen. We had one that started a plowing and done a great work there, and we thank God for that beginning. But then there's a transition that took place. You understand, Moses did a work, but then Joshua showed up. Elijah did a work, but then Elisha showed up. Come on now. Amen. Paul did a work, but he left something to Timothy. Amen. And there's anointing on this man. He knows I'm called of God to be in a place where the anointing can flow through me and I can be a keeper of a vision and I can have people assigned here to this thing and we're going to pull their gifts out and we're going to take the city for the kingdom. That's what you're getting. That's what you're getting. An anointing on someone's life to be able to pull the anointing that's on your life so that your gift can manifest in this city. Hallelujah. And they're praying for you right now. And we've been praying for this ministry to continue to grow and prosper. Not only have we prayed, we've invested. Why? Because we believe in this work in this city. We believe in it. There's no doubt. Because God, when He calls you, you don't abandon the call. You don't do it. No, you dig in. And you stand. And when you've done all to stand, you stand. And it don't matter what's all going on out here, we stand. Why? Because we believe God. Amen? And so, here we are at the end of this story. It's just as it happened, saved, their lives would be lost because Paul interceded and stood in the gap for their lives. And so it happened as they all, how many? All, all 276 of them were brought safely to the land. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Isn't that powerful? And you know what? If we followed this story a little bit further into the next chapter, we'd find that Paul falls, gets up on this island, and the natives of this island are there, and Paul builds a fire because everybody's wet to help dry them out, and a snake bites him. And one that bite him that within 10 minutes you die because it's so toxic with poison. And Paul, when he got bit by that, he just shook it off and threw it off to the side. 
and the natives looked and said, oh, this man is condemned to die. He, he, he may have made it out of the water because they saw it. I mean, you understand, down in the Keys in, in Florida, there's a reef that runs from about Fort Lauderdale all the way down past Key West, and it's about three miles out. And there were these guys called the breakers. They would go out and have to help ships because they would run aground on that reef. And you understand, from the shore, you can see those ships. You can see ships now, and they're not there today. But you understand, you could have in a day, seeing those ships run aground and they would go out after the people that had run aground on those reefs to help save. Do you understand? These people are seeing this take place. Because you understand, they could see the land and they tried to put that sail up and try to drive that boat right up on land. But they hit that reef instead. And so they see that and they're thinking, you know, and in their their um, religion, you know, probably their belief system that, you know, when God wants you dead, you're going to die. You know, you're just going to be judged. It's just your time. Paul gets up here, and you think, man, he's okay, but he, he seemed to, to, like, face death, but it didn't hit him. And then when he gets there, the most unlikely thing, a snake comes out from among the sticks, and he gets bit. He shook that thing off, and they watched him and thought, mm-mm-mm, the gods ain't well with him. The gods ain't well with him. He's the one who saved the whole ship. He's the one who knows the God. He's the one that stood in the gap for everybody. He's the one that told him we shouldn't have went in the first place. And the poison did nothing to him because he's anointed man of God. And they were in awe and thought, he must be a God. And wanted to worship him. And he said, no, 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 no. And a great healing revival took place right there on that island. And people came into the kingdom. Why? He said, we're going to run aground on a certain island. Even in the midst of calamity, God can still get you to a destination, a divine destiny to where you can impart life to a whole nother nation. You understand? For you guys that have been with Anchor Faith Church from the beginning, it used to be called Life Bible Church, but it changed about 18 months in to Anchor Faith Church, and you've been here. Some of y'all, y'all just came on, man, we're excited you're here. If you can't experience us in one service, you've got to come back at least five times. <laughs> but you know, some, we've been through a storm. But we've hit land. We've hit land. Amen? And we're going to do something great in this city. And you're part of it. And there's an anointing on this man and his wife. I'm excited. He's a great children's pastor. I can say that right now. Great children's pastor. There's no doubt. He's anointed. But that season's up. And he won't be able to do children anymore after that date because the anointing's gone off the children and it comes to this ministry. This man right here, Pastor Marcus... This man's anointed to, to lead worship. He's anointed in ministering to people to try to get them into the kingdom to, uh, to get lordship. But he was with me when I was a youth pastor. And he remembers. I came to Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And God called me there. I was assigned to that church for such a time as this. And this guy right here, man, I saw him in a hamburger joint. Ron's Hamburger, if you're ever in Oklahoma. Tulsa, Oklahoma or Sand Springs, I got a Ron's Hamburger. It's phenomenal. Get the Big Daddy or the Ron Special, okay? Isn't that right, Pastor Marcus? And I was there with the pastor of the church, and he saw uh, Marcus, Pastor Marcus come with his family and said, that kid's an influencer. You want him in your church, your youth group. You know, his family goes to our church. And I said hey to him and everything, and he came and tried me out. I mean, they'd been in church, but he just wasn't really connecting in the youth ministry at the time. Well, how, what were you, a junior or a senior then? Probably right at the end of being a junior. He was in his junior year. Okay? 
And, um, well, we just connected. And they say, you know, he led worship there with the youth. We got him through high school, you know. Spoke the word into his life. He started going to Rama, go to Bible college, you know. And, um, and I remember I was there about three years, and the Holy Spirit said, it's time to move. It's time for you to do that which I've called you to do. I need you to pastor. And I knew right then, man, we were running to over 200 teenagers. I mean, touching a couple of prisons, youth prisons. We're doing just, it was awesome. But the Lord said, it's time to go. And I knew right then, the anointing to do this is gone. If I don't go with God, I'll just become an entertainer to teenagers. And that won't change their lives. Because they're where they're at today because an anointing was on me to minister to them. But the anointing for me is in St. Augustine. It's in a town where he's called me to be and to plant me. Amen. And I had to go. I understand what's going on with this guy. I recognize that. And when I recognize that he was the guy for here, that all here, here's a guy that's been with me for seven years, and we're going to put him in Valdosta. Hallelujah. Now, we'll always be connected, you understand, because we're family. We're, we're just still one church in one sense, you understand, because we have the same vision, the same heart. We want to touch our city. But there's an anointing on this guy and his wife. They're phenomenal people. And you know what? They want you to come. They want you to get connected. He's going to pull the gifts out of you. Things that you don't even know is in you, he's going to pull because God's anointed him to do that. And there's going to be times he's going to say, I perceive. There's going to be times he's going to say, we need to do. And I'm going to tell you right now, in the natural, it may look like there's no way. Ah, but pray for him. Amen? Because there's a great responsibility to keep a vision and to be able to run with that. But I'm going to tell you right now, there is a greater leadership than the fact that you call him Pastor Mark. His title is the title God gave him. For God gave gifts unto men, some as apostles and prophets, evangelists, teachers, and pastors. It's not a title we use because we want you to call us that. God gave me that. Abraham had no problem calling himself Abraham after God changed his name from Abram. Paul had no problem in writing his letter saying the apostle Paul, called of God, not of men. And so when I call him Pastor Mark, it's because I'm pulling the gift of pastor out because that gift of pastor is more important than Mark. You see that. That's why I do that. Now, we never require anybody to call us those things because it's on the person. If you want to recognize him as pastor, that's fine. If you want to see him as Mark, then you're going to get a Mark. But if you want a pastor, then you keep the gift that God assigned to the body out there. Abram says, my name's Abraham. And that's why I introduce myself as Pastor Earl. I don't care if I'm in an uh, airport. Hey, what's your name? Pastor Earl. I say that. Why? Not because I'm trying to put my title out there, but God called me to this. He apprehended me for this. He put me in this position. Because, buddy, if there was anything else and I could have gone another direction, sure, I sure would have. I sure would have. But you got to go where God's called you. Because to not, man, whoo, my, 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 that's miserable. That's miserable existence. I'm telling you right now, you are in a good place. And, the, and this vision, listen, this is not a small church. It's a beginning church. The church is beginning. And beginnings are beginnings. But there's going to come a day. Go ahead. We're going to get more chairs. because We already pulled them out now. And we're going to pull out more. And we're going to take more space. And we're going to take land. And we're going to take buildings. And we're going to ignite this city. And we're going to go out and, t- and touch this nation. And we're going to go and influence this whole world. Why? And God's going to do it through you. Because the anointing's here to do it. Amen? Isn't that exciting? Let's pray. Father, we love you and we honor you. We thank you. You're the King of kings and the Lord.